0: Good evening. Welcome back on a Wednesday night. Yes. Feel free to applaud. We are glad to be here. So thanks to everyone who is here. Uh, Thanks for coming and participating in uh, this study of Hosea. Uh, Thanks to the elders for letting us have this class. Uh, And I'd say thank you to Jason Powell for being moved with uh, zeal and uh, loving this book Hosea and and bringing me along and saying, let's have a class and let's teach Hosea. So thanks for that inspiration. Uh, Jason and I will be teaching, uh, team teaching. Uh, I'm gonna start off with the first 20 minutes or so of class and he'll finish up with the second 20 minutes. Why don't we start uh, with a word of prayer? Lord God, Jehovah God, thank you for preserving these words that you gave to Hosea, your prophet from long ago, for us to have, even today, still in our hands, that we can get to know you better. And simple prayers, just help our study of these words that are still living and active today, lead us to both love you more and fear you more. And through Jesus, we pray, amen. Amen. This is one of my favorite things that we have. I've never read from a scroll before. Bear with me. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beri, in the days of King Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah of Judah, and in the days of King Jeroboam, son of Joash of Israel, when Jehovah first spoke through Hosea, Jehovah said to Hosea, go take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking Jehovah. So he went and took Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And Jehovah said to him, name him Jezreel for In a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Pretty powerful start to that book. Pretty poignant words. Who is Hosea, the son of Beri? We really know nothing about him outside of this book. But one thing we clearly know about him from this book is that he had humble submission. It's been my, my favorite two words for the last year, hasn't it? Humble submission. God said, go, do this, and he did it. But outside of that, we actually don't know much about Hosea. But how did they get there? How did... They come to be at this point where God, Jehovah God, commanded his prophet to marry a prostitute. Why? In order to represent and actually live out God's relationship with his people, with Israel. How did they get there? So let's set the stage for this book with a quick review of the historical context. Just there in verse 1, we just read that together, it lists some kings, the kings of Judah, these mainly give a timetable. Isaiah, Jotham, Ahab, and Hezekiah. Those four kings span the years from seven, about 792 BC to 686 BC, a little over a hundred years for those four kings. Hosea did not work that entire time, but he overlapped with those kings. And probably in the years of 760 to 730 BC for his book, this, this revelation that we have. And so he's kind of in the middle of all those kings. But the Kings of Israel are the ones that are the actual context for Hosea's message. Look whose name there, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. We normally call him Jeroboam II. He came to be king of Israel in 793 BC, and he reigned until about 753 BC. That was a time of prosperity and relative peace for the northern Uh, nation of Israel for that northern kingdom. And that was while Assyria was weakened. So when you put this in the context of of the big world history, Assyria had suffered defeat. They'd had some internal strife. King was killed by his own generals and things like that were happening. And so Assyria was weakened and that let the northern kingdom of Israel and Jeroboam II have some peace and prosperity. They actually expanded their borders again. Let's turn over to 2 Kings 14. If you want to read along, otherwise, I'll just read a couple verses here. This will maybe spark your attention. 2 Kings 14, verse 23 says, In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of king Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. He did evil in the sight of Jehovah. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin. He restored the border of Israel From the entrance of Hamath, as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of Jehovah, the God of Israel, listen, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, which was very bitter, for there was neither bond nor free, nor was there any helper for Israel. Jehovah did not say that he would not blot, that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash." And so Jeroboam II here, actually, even through the prophecy of Jonah, the only other thing we know about Jonah right there, is that he promised that God was going to actually support and help Jeroboam restore Israel to some extent during this time. What other prophets are in this time frame? We have Jonah. Jonah's main work that we recorded is over in Nineveh when Assyria was down and weakened. But we have Amos, who's also in Israel around this time. We have Micah and Isaiah, who are in Judah. And then uh, this reference to Jonah is just interesting that gives a little insight into why maybe he was so hesitant to go and preach repentance to Assyria. Because he was here preaching restoration or at least improvement of the nation of Israel, his home area. Okay, but that's Jeroboam II. We have another king mentioned there in the first passage of Hosea we read—that's Jehu. Does anybody remember who Jehu was? Well, he actually was the great grandfather of Jeroboam II. This is his great-great grandfather. Four generations later. So Jehu, recall, was anointed by Elisha to become the king. For what purpose? So, if you want to flip over to 2 Kings nine, if you haven't read this history for a while, I sent this out in that email last week, but. This is part of that history. Who is this Jehu that God refers to in this very opening passage? Well, Jehu was anointed by God to go and take out Ahab and Jezebel. God had had enough of the house of Omri and Ahab and Jezebel, and he said, Jehu, I'm anointing you. And where did that all happen? Where did that all go down when Jehu went on his killing spree, frankly, of wiping out Ahab and all his sons? It was in Jezreel the town of Jezreel and the valley of Jezreel, which we'll talk a little bit more about Jezreel in next week's class when I go over the first chapter. But just keep that in mind, this idea of Jezreel. It's kind of the vacation home for the rulers and the kings in the Northern Kingdom. But let's back up. Who are Ahab and Jezebel? This is part of the historical context here. God's gonna talk about the things from Ahab and Jezebel. Well, Ahab was the fourth king Of Israel after the division. The kingdom's divided, and you had four kings come down. Omri was the third king, and Omri's son was Ahab. And so after the division, what did Ahab do? Well, flip a few pages back to 1 Kings chapter 16. Let's just read about Ahab for a moment to set the stage here even further. 1 Kings 16 verse 29, now Ahab, the son of Omri, became king of Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of Jehovah more than all who were before him. It came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshiped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab also made the Asherah. Thus Ahab did more to provoke Jehovah God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And so there's the legacy of Ahab. That's the one that Jehu was anointed to to take out. And this is his great grandson, Jeroboam II, who's now on the throne when Hosea comes. Remember what happened with Ahab, right? Chapter 17 there, Elijah battling the priests of Baal, that great showdown on top of Mount Carmel when Elijah... Had fire come down from heaven? So we have this scene was set. But let's back up one more. So, who was Jeroboam, the son of Nebat? Remember him? He was the one that God chose. God chose him to rebel against Rehoboam and take the northern kingdom away, right? So this is Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So we have two Jeroboams here. And that's in 1 Kings 11 and 12. I'm not gonna read those passages, but he was chosen by God to do this. And God promised him, if you read those chapters, God promised him to make him a great king and be with him and make him like David if he trusted him and followed him. But what was Jeroboam's first act when he became king, it seems? Did he trust God? No. He built the two golden calves. He didn't want the people from the north to have to go to Jerusalem. He thought he'd lose his power, so he built two golden calves. at Dan in the north and Bethel in the south. Bethel, house of God is what that means. is going to be referred to as Beth-Avon in Hosea. So we'll see that a couple times. And that, these gods represented what? These are the gods that brought you up out of Egypt. That's what Jeroboam said when he erected those calves. Now, where did did Jeroboam get that idea? Well, it goes back even further, doesn't it? And just by saying that, who are we back to? We're back to Mount Sinai, where God was making his covenant relationship with these people, and, and what happened? Aaron, the high priest himself, set up the golden calf at the very beginning of God's covenant relationship with Israel. And so as we read and study Hosea, this is the history that God has in mind. With God, a thousand years is one day. And so we'll be reading passages about God's relationship with Israel that will refer all the way back to that very beginning. And in his mind, this is a relationship. Specifically, he's going to refer to it mainly as a marriage relationship. And so we'll get into that in the next couple chapters in depth. And so this is the historical context. And I think as you come to Hosea, you really need those things in mind to understand what he's talking about. So the Northern Kingdom of Israel actually had two systems of false religion, right? The first was the calves from Jeroboam that represented Jehovah, the God, or the gods that brought you out of Egypt, kind of tying that into that whole historical context. But that that breaks Command number two, doesn't it? Think of the Ten Commandments. Command number two is don't make any images of me. So in 930 BC, command number two was broken by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, with the two golden calves. But what was even worse? And we read that with Ahab, right? If that was just a trivial thing, Ahab did this, and he brought Baal worship. His wife, Jezebel, came from the Phoenicians, from Sidonia, and brought Baal worship. And so he he set up Baal worship as, as the state religion, basically. And so what command does that break? Number one. <laughs> and so in 870 BC, roughly, we have another of the first two commands are broken by this, these two forms of uh, false worship. And so this unfaithfulness and this disloyalty in worship led to both moral decay in society. If that's what you're worshiping and, and what your religion consists of, then morality will decay. And that's what they're experiencing. But it also led to rebellion against Jehovah's authority and trust. And so trust is an interesting word because that's more of a relationship word, right? And so God's gonna talk about that. That it's not just God is God and he has the authority. It broke his trust and they lost their trust in him. And they lost that relationship with him. And what does that lead to? Well, after Jeroboam II, where God gave them a reprieve, what happened next? It led to subsequent years of political decay and cultural crumbling with six kings in rapid succession. Uh, Just on my notes, Jeroboam II, 41 years he reigned, followed by his son, Zechariah, who ruled six months and was killed, by Shalem, who ruled one month and was killed, Menahem ruled 10 years, And he paid tribute to Assyria. So Assyrian power came in during that reign. And then his son, Pekiah, ruled two years. Pekah killed him and ruled for 20 years when Assyria began their conquest. And finally, Hosea killed Pekah. And he ruled nine years until 722 BC when Assyria finally came in and did what? Leveled the place and everybody was taken away. And so the northern kingdom was almost completely wiped out and everybody was taken off. And then foreign nations were brought in, which leads to the Samaritans, as we learn. So so that's kind of the historical context there of what became of that. So that is what Hosea, the son of Beeri, steps into. Here he is, God's prophet. And what does God call his prophet to do? Back to our text. He doesn't say go and stand on the street corner and proclaim this, does he? He doesn't, he says go and marry a prostitute. Marry a whore. I'm just gonna use the word whore. Sorry if that's offensive, but that's actually in a lot of the Bible translations. And that should be offensive to us because I think that's God, that's why God used that word, because it is offensive. But that's what he actually told his prophet to do. Why? Why? to show the spiritual adultery and the spiritual whoredom that he has been living through as God in this relationship. And what's the contrast? So the proclamation is, here's what you've done to me, but here's who I am to you. And so God, through Hosea, is going to contrast the spiritual adultery and prostitution of his people with his faithfulness and trust and Loving kindness, loyal love. And so that brings us to my last point I'll make, is this word, and it's such an important word in the entire Old Testament, really in the entire Bible. It's hesed or chesed, C-H-E-S-E or H-E-S-E. That's a Hebrew word that is almost impossible to translate with even two or three English words. That word is used multiple times in this book. That's an important word, hesed, It means loyal love. It means steadfast, faithful love. It means faithful, loving kindness. It means loving mercies. And and loving kindness is another translation. So we have all these things wrapped up in that. That's a really important word for us who have a relationship with Jehovah because in Exodus 34, six and seven, if you haven't read that passage recently, write that down. Exodus 34, six and seven, when God says, Tells Moses, this is who I am. He actually uses that word twice to describe himself. And so this word hesed is a word that God takes on himself. Jehovah says, this is who I am. I am hesed. And that's that's covenant devotion to this relationship. So that's the contrast that God's going to set up, that he's going to not only proclaim in Hosea, but he's going to make Hosea live it out in his life as he proclaims that. Turn it over to Jason.
1: It's the first time back since March of last year. Booth, you look great with those shoes, by the way. Thank you, Tim. The podium is too small. I want to take you back. Going to unpack this a little bit more for you guys. Going to bring in some application as well. But I want to take you back before those first words were put down to a little girl in the hill country of Samaria. Gomer gets a bad rap. I'm not justifying what she did. But listen, before Miley Cyrus, there was Hannah Montana. I see a lot of little girls here. I had a little girl. who's a woman now. But there's something beautiful about innocence and a childlike wonder. There was a little girl in the hill country of Samaria. In one of the little towns, we don't know. Maybe it wasn't even on the map at that point. She grew up into a young woman. And not unlike you girls here, grew up in a culture that was completely tolerant of sin. Completely tolerant and justified it in every way, culturally immoral. She was innocent at one point, but that culture, it made it easy for her to become the woman that we read about in this scripture. But she met a young man. I don't know how old they were. They were young, just like all of us were at some point when we fell in love. Young love. We've seen it. It's one of the greatest stories throughout all the world. And they literally fell in love together, Hosea and Gomer. Ladies, next time you think you're having a bad day, no one in here is named Gomer. You're fine. But they fell in love literally. And I don't think it's stretching the imagination too much to say that they fell madly in love with each other. There's no reason to think they didn't. We were all madly in love with the spouse that we ended up marrying. And then, for some unaccountable reason, again, these people came out of Egypt. You talked about they were quick in their relationship. She went horrible as an adulteress. Early, most likely, in their relationship. And then, after that, if it couldn't get any worse, resorted to the oldest profession in mankind. Became a prostitute, literally. I'll make money using my body. Unbelievable. And I can only imagine the first time Hosea found out the brokenness that he had. Broken-hearted, shame-filled soul, devastated as a spouse, devastated as a lover. Every one of us know people going through this right now. It's nothing new. And I'm sure putting myself in Hosea, I'm thinking, I got recourse, I got a legal leg to stand on. You're dead. And I can kill you, and I'm going to kill the guys that you've been sleeping with, too. And I've got a legal leg to stand on with that under that Mosaic law. And he could have brought her before the elders of that town, and he would have been justified in everything that he did. Demanded the law be enforced. I want it enforced. You've done worse than adultery, You've gotten pregnant by other men. What? And you expect me to raise these kids and take you back? He would have been justified. And it's an amazing story of grace. I've got a soft spot as a person who's been forgiven much. You think, what am I going to do, throw a rock at her? Who's going to do it? Gomer, by grace, may have heard something. It reminds me of the woman that we read about in Luke chapter 7. It came in with the Baster flask and just wept from behind the feet of Jesus with her tears on her feet, on his feet with her hair. And I can hear Hosea saying, I see you weeping. I hear, I feel your tears of sorrow upon my feet, your humility. I've been waiting, and just like our Lord, who's willing to wait, I'm waiting for you. Come home with me. He's not slow in keeping his promises, and I'm not going to be either. Come home with me, and I always chuckle when I say, Gomer, come home in peace. For your faith has saved you, and I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I'm jealous for you. I've drawn you with loving kindness, and I have bought you back for myself. Return to me, and I will restore thee. It's a beautiful ending. We could stop right there and say, wow, that was a great, but you know, chapter one kind of sums it up, and then it gets it's rough for a while. Before that restorative and joyful end, there is suffering. There is sorrow. There is extreme loss. Don't forget here. Hosea is talking about Israel and specifically the northern 10 tribes here. he does mention Judah. There is a collective, you know, it's all of you guys have been horrible to me, but specifically represented by Gomer, Israel to the north. Your guilt and your sin, you're dead. And Judah, you better pay attention because you're next. Take heed. You are not exempt. Israel first, though. Remember this. There's really about twofold things with these people and their faithlessness. A complete rebellion against all constituted authority, whether it was men or God himself. Complete rebellion. Talk about what Tim just talked about. I mean, rapid fire, succession. Think if that's how we change political parties, is most guns, uh, you yeah, you just wipe blood, touching blood, Horrible. Killed the prophets, killed the kings, killed the princes. No regard for life or law. And then number two, in their dependence on themselves. Israel thought, hey, everything that we've got, everything that I've got, I've done this. Look at what I've created. Their dependence on themselves and then their dependence on foreign alliances. Crying to Egypt, to the south. Crying to the very people that were going to end up taking them out. Assyria, playing both Egypt and Assyria against the middle, trying to make deals here and there. A little dove that flits from flower to flower. Your loyalty, Israel, it's like the morning dew. It is quick to evaporate. You look at and you say, let's consider what are the causes of faithlessness to this level. And it is not hard, and we'll touch on this later, to look around at our own country and go, Wait, is Hosea writing to them or us? Yes. You consider the causes of the faithfulness. You got corruption with the priests. And the false prophets were in league with them. The church has done more to bring reproach on itself over the course of history than anything that the world could do. And you had the church here, the corruption going on. And then you had the corruption of worship. Tim touched on this. The two things. You had a great intention... With the calf. That's culturally, does it make sense to us? I love my calf, medium rare, right here. I'm not worshiping, but they, were, they come up in a different time. So you had that corruption, and they're worshiping Jehovah through this bull. And then you've got just the pure evil that Baal worship was on so many levels. Those two things coming full harvest in the nation, Israel. You cheating spouse cheater. Here's your theme and here's your message of Hosea. Simply put, the righteousness of Jehovah, it is greater than our propensity to sin. Thank goodness that God is love, relentlessly pursuing us, always from the beginning, in spite of our stubbornness. Hosea is going to touch on that. I think I get to talk about the stubborn heifer. What a great insult. You stubborn heifer. Stubbornness, stiff-necked buzzards. It's ridiculous. And then the doom of a nation that leaves God out. First, because of the religious decay. And then you've got all the moral and political decay. And again, boy, does that sound familiar? (laughs) Yes. We are Israel. Now, here's a side note. See, Gerald? Holding here, I'm going to do a little side note. This is a lovely man to study with, by the way. Most of uh, this is Mr. Gerald. Thank you. Totally plagiarizing, but I'm footnoting you, so it counts. Thank you so much. But thank you for your time, so much. We really appreciate you um, sitting with us for so many times. But here's a side note. When you're reading this, you're going to notice in Scripture, you're going to see the capital L, capital O, R, D, Lord. And what we want to encourage you to do with us is when you're reading that, listen, the Jews wouldn't even say the name of the Lord. They wouldn't even say Yahweh. But for us, Jehovah, we say J's, insert, we're challenging you, make an effort to when you see Lord, Lord Jehovah or Jehovah, insert that name, his name into that. God's name opposed to his title. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord Jehovah is his name. I'm going to touch on what you just talked about. You go back into Exodus 34. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. This is Jehovah. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord Jehovah, in your presence. That's to Moses. That's where we're getting this with that. So the challenge when you're reading that, try to do that. But the point is this. In Hosea, the goodness that is God, his personal name is who he is. Jehovah is relational. Jehovah is deeply personal. It is emotional. He is emotional. This is meant to change our physiology, um, spiritually speaking. And sometimes when we just pass over, and it's not wrong if you're reading that with Lord, but sometimes when we pass over that, it tends to maybe present the idea, not true, but that God is kind of detached And not quite where he says where you think he is, and we know that. But this is something I've been working on. You know, it's our intimate relationships. We're on a first-name basis. I don't watch Downton Abbey. Some of you do. Now, this has not made a lot of traction in my family, but I have encouraged my wife to maybe consider as I walk in, Lord, my Lord, could I draw your back? My Lord, how was your day? She's on a first-name basis, I'm telling you. It's Jason. So what a gift that we, through Christ, get to say Jehovah. First name basis. What a gift. So keep that in mind. All right, back to the impending doom that is coming. Yet he, the Lord God, does not leave the guilty unpunished. The doom of Israel is coming from the north. Assyria is growing more powerful. Assyria is coming. You, Israel, Judah, you guys, you've broken the covenant with me. Return to me. But what if we don't want to come back? You're dead through my judgment. And here's the thing. Most of them were obliterated and carry off. And there were those still that laughed at this. I guarantee you, Hosea was laughed at. He was mocked. But there is hope beyond the judgment. And that's what we cling to. Hope beyond the judgment for a glorious and future restoration. The remedy to our sin, turn to God. It is the story of Scripture. Literally, we see this cycle of sin. Sin You come back all throughout every book. The cycle of sin. We know this. The other thing we'd like for you to really grasp and understand is this concept of restoration. It's not to say that salvation is not correct, but we really want to bring home that idea of return. In terms of what Israel's supposed to do, return to me. And then the idea of what Jehovah will do once they do that. I will restore you. Return and restoration. You'll see return turn back. It's over 20 times in this book. Turn back to what God is. Righteousness, justice, loving kindness, mercies, faithfulness. This is who he is. You were talking about hesed. If you say that properly, and in a COVID totalitarian world, you can't, but it's a hesed. It's a deep, guttural sound we don't even talk that way it's like a Klingon coming out but it is a deep from the depths this idea of who he is that being Jehovah hesed loyal love a determined willingness to love us he's obstinate the Lord for our love thank goodness and you touched on this as well Tim Understand the personal relationship of us, but with this nation. Think marriage. It's intimate. It is personal. It is as exceedingly close as you can be. Key words, this, this word's used all throughout Ruth as well. So it's not new to scripture. And you think of the time here, by the time Hosea gets going with this, the excess of the nation, they are gone. They've already exceeded what Amos was talking to them about. Gone. Their sin was even more marked. Again, you look around at where we are in our country, and it there's nothing new. Understand, though, Israel, they did worse than just commit adultery. They had prostituted themselves. They had impregnated themselves with the bales of the land for hire. I've been saying they were horrible, horrible people thought of that today, but it it works. They were horrible. And so are we in our sin. Israel was finished, though, as a nation. But for the remnant who prepared their heart to seek Jehovah God, who chose to return, who chose to be changed and become like little children, trusting, dependent, unpretentious, they found compassion and grace. To them came healing and pardon just like the woman in Luke chapter 7. I was i meant to call you about this, Tim. I was just like, this is Gomer weeping at the feet of her husband, just like this woman. It's a beautiful story if you haven't read that. Go back to Luke chapter 7. But Hosea is telling these people, you're going into captivity, but there will be a time to return. Listen to what Zechariah says to us still today. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Jehovah Almighty says. Return to me and I will return to you. How do you get a person to turn? They have to get to a point where they say, I was wrong. You have to admit. And we're willing to do that. The Holy Spirit can work amazing things. Here's your five-fold application parallels throughout this whole study. We won't talk about them every week, but just have them in the background of your mind. You've got Hosea and Gomer, their life, their literal life together, their marriage. That's one. Jehovah and his relationship to Israel, represented by Gomer, that marriage, if you will, that relationship, you've got Jehovah. And as it relates to us, our country, the church today, even speaking to us, We don't make any mistake, for we have been espoused to Christ, that we may be presented as a chaste virgin to Christ. This is for us in this local body, Church Universal, this country. There's that one. Number four, our personal covenant and marriage to Jehovah. My vertical relationship with the Father, who has a righteous jealousy for me and you in spite of ourselves. I'm the horrible person. And then fifthly, us and other people, this horizontal type relationship. Maybe you've been the gomer. Maybe you've offended. Maybe you've cheated. Maybe you've done whatever. Maybe you have an opportunity to play the role of Hosea. But those horizontal relationships that we have here, opportunities for us to be a redeemer, a forgiver, when maybe we have been playing the part of Gomer with other people in many other aspects. Although a nation may be doomed, we are called individually to change. And let's not forget that, with with what relates to Hosea here. To be a light in a carnal culture. Went back to Ezekiel 14. Even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in your midst, I'm not saving you. What? Those are your two, three, four hitters right there. It won't matter. They'll save themselves by their righteousness and their righteous acts of service. But even if those three guys are here, it's done. It's finished. So that concept of Individual responsibility in a culture that takes no responsibility for anything that it does. Hosea is saying, you're in charge of yourself. Take responsibility individually. Trust me, says Jehovah. Keep this in mind as well. That this book, this is a great book. You can read it from start to finish, what, in half an hour? It's not that bad. Hosea is one of the most poetic, prophetic books in Scripture. There's a lot of metaphor. There's a lot of simile. There's wordplay. You'll get into that with Jezreel. Beautiful wordplay with that. This is a grammar nerd's dream. And then you've got historical allusions and national traditions. So a lot to think about in this not-so-minor I have no idea how Hosea got lumped in with the minor prophets. Got more chapters than Daniel. It was a major book with major implications and major applications for us today. Lots to think about as we study this book of hope and forgiveness. Through the most despicable betrayal of trust there is, and that is the sin against innocent love. I want to take you back. To maybe, and again, Scripture's not clear on this. This is after Hosea and Gomer's reconciliation. Who knows? I found myself in 2 Chronicles yesterday. And you touched on King Hezekiah, chapter 30. We're going to read this letter of hope that was sent to all Israel. The northern group had just been obliterated. But I wonder somewhere in that northern hill country after the devastation maybe gomer and hosea heard these words you know i think hosea got to see israel get booted it's come back to return to jerusalem to return this is hezekiah and celebrate the passover with her husband and her god what a message second chronicles Chapter 30, this is worth your time to turn over to. Second Chronicles chapter 30, we're going to start about midway through verse 6. And this is going throughout all of Israel and Judah. Hezekiah says, O sons of Israel, return to Jehovah, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return to those of you who escaped and are left from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were unfaithful to Jehovah God of their fathers, so that he made them a horror as you see. Now do not stiffen your neck like your fathers, but yield to Jehovah and enter his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever, and serve Jehovah your God that his burning anger may turn away from you. For if you return to Jehovah, your brothers and your sons will find compassion before those who led them captive and will return to this land. For the Lord Jehovah, your God, is gracious and compassionate and will not turn his face away from you if you return to him amazing that's hosea i'm looking forward to this class we have a we have a chance to be like a little kid again innocent blameless trusting dependent totally dependent on a provider we have a chance in spite of our cheating selves to return back and be like a little girl in the hill country of Samaria at one point. That's the hope we have. All right, instructions for next week. What do you have? Just read chapter one. Read chapter one, please. This is great. Uh, what do we end up with, Uncle Keith? 70? 75. Thank you, the few, the proud soldiers of Christ. Thank you for coming back. Tell everyone, Wednesday nights, 7 p.m. Anything from the elders that we have here before we shut her down? All right. Thank you guys so much for your kind attention. Look forward to seeing you next week. Tim, you're on point. We'll close with a prayer. Our Father, thank you so much for times like this when we can step out of a chaotic world and just catch our breath. And remind ourselves of who you are and the goodness that you are, the loving kindness that you have extended to us. Thank you, Jehovah, for your son, Jesus. And help us to keep in mind who you are and help us to keep in mind that we can always return to you no matter where we are. Thank you so much for that gift of grace. Help us. Blessing on Tim. Thank you for Mr. Gerald and this entire congregation. Just ask a blessing on us as we study your word through Hosea this quarter here. May we just apply it to our lives. Continue to be lights in a dark world through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.